Good morning, Maranatha. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable, and it is time for our Sunday Morning Alive, Sunday Morning Sermon, right here on our website. I want to thank you for joining us once again, wherever you are in the United States, here in North America, or whether you, wherever you are in the world because of the World Wide Web. We are glad that you are here with us today as we gather around the Word of God. And we believe we're going to receive instruction from the Word of God of how how to react to all of the opposition perse- producing persecution that is going to come to everyone who truly follows Jesus in these last days. The name of this message today, the title, is Reacting to the Devil's Rage with Boldness. Reacting to the Devil's Rage with Boldness. You know, the Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We used to use the term a lot of holy boldness, this this attitude of, of victory, this courage in our heart, this faith that is unconquerable by any of the forces of darkness that would come up against it, this shield of faith that when utilized quenches all the fiery darts, literally the flaming arrows of the enemy. And friend of mine, they're going to be fired until Jesus comes. And the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more the persecution is going to be manifest. Satan led a third of the angels in heaven in rebellion and was defeated. Jesus put it this way, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Well, where did he fall to? Did he just free fall? Out in the universe? No. He became an influence between heaven and earth. He's in our atmosphere in a, in a spiritual influencing ability. The Bible said the whole world, you're of God, little children, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, literally in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. He, with the fallen angels and demons, influenced fallen men and women, boys and girls, to rebel, and they will also be defeated. There is a time between that defeat, that ultimate judging and and really assigning to where they're going to spend eternity. But right now, right now, There is a powerful move of the enemy in our culture and around the world. We're seeing things we never dreamed we would see. Just a couple of decades ago, just 20 years ago, not 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago, but just 20 years ago, the changes have been so profound that it's shocking and it's almost numbing to, to every day read a headline of some atrocity, something beyond our human imagination to imagine. This is not science fiction. This is not Stephen King horror movie. This is the real world as we know it today. 
There's nothing in science fiction, nothing in a horror movie that is, is, is so beyond what is happening today that we can't associate these last day signs to what is happening in our world. Friend of mine, we need a boldness and a courage and a confidence that cannot be shaken by the outrage of the world against the Bible, against Bible believers, against the true church, against the true followers of Jesus Christ today. Listen, Satan is destined to fall completely, but right now, he is alive and well and working overtime in our culture, in our society. This is no time to play church. This is no time for a quote-unquote prosperity gospel. Get rich, get comfortable, sit back in your ease in some kind of spiritual bubble and, and act like the world around you uh, is not in a state of rebellion against God. If you If you dare to say you believe the Bible to be the inerrant, eternal word of the living God as it truly is, you're going to be under fire from the world about you. Listen, the Bible said it's going to get to the point where your your enemies won't be the Russians or the Iraqis or the Iranians or some other uh, some other uh, army or some other nation that wants to destroy you and hurt you. Your enemies shall be they of your own household. Mothers and sons, fathers and daughters will be at odds over this. There's no doubt right now in the political arena, if you're a conservative today and you've got someone in your family who is a liberal, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you, you're going to have trouble if you even mention where you stand and why you have taken the stand that you have taken. Listen, we're in the day when your enemies shall be they of your own household. And not only that, the enemy of the world about you, the people you work with, the people you affiliate with. Listen, we're in the last of the last days. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus talked about it in his day. And he said this. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He said, but when they do it, when it happens, when they cast out your name as evil and they tell all manner of lies about you, rejoice and listen, be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. There's a movement today to just get rich and get comfortable. Let the world go to hell in the handbasket. Literally, I'm not cursing. I'm telling you there's a living hell that every person who isn't saved will spend eternity. And the world is headed headlong into that place of torment. And it, and they're stubbornly committed to, to keep on that pathway. It's going to take a shaking, a quaking, if you please, in a mighty move of God in order to turn this tide, because this tide is building 
in its momentum. It's like a dam has broken and all that that has been pent up is now turned loose in all of its destructive force. Now you say, Hey, you're, you're, you're just a negative old fire and brimstone preacher. No, I'm a realist looking at the culture, looking at the prophecies, understanding Satan's strategy and understanding that he knows he has but a short time. During the tribulation, it says this about him. It said, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth during the tribulation in particular, for Satan hath come down to you. That's when he will have the direct control over the Antichrist. That's when lying wonders will occur through the false prophet. That's when demons will literally be released from their place of, of where they're held in prisons and, and they will be able to come out and, and manifest themselves and literally torment men and women, boys and girls during the tribulation. This, this is all pent up, but it's breaking loose. You can see the cracks in the dam and the waters are rising. Are you trying to scare me? No, I'm trying to get you to a place of safety. A place of not only safety, but a place where seeing what is happening, that you can be emboldened because God has always committed himself to defend his people. Hallelujah. Dear friend of mine, the Bible said the enemy shall come in like a flood, but the spirit of of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. When, not if, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Want to know what that standard is? Better yet, who the standard is. (laughs) It goes on to say, a Redeemer shall come to Zion. And this Redeemer that has come to Zion is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you're looking for the doe-eyed Jesus to come back, sitting on the back of a donkey on the way to the cross, who is a lamb dumb before his shearers, did not open his mouth, you're looking for the wrong Jesus. The Jesus that is coming back is the Jesus that was resurrected and sat down at the right hand of God and is coming back not as a savior to save mankind, but as a judge to execute God's wrath upon mankind who has rejected his sacrifice, trampled underfoot his blood and walked in abject rebellion against God and everything that is righteous and everything that is holy. I don't want to be part of that crowd. I don't know about you. I I don't want to be part of those who are thumbing their nose at God and shaking their fist at heaven. I want to be on the Lord's side when Jesus comes. I don't want to be during the great tribulation. I don't want to have to go through that and face what is coming because the rage of the devil This devil who says he has but a short time, he's going to have to do what he does and do it quickly. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for Satan hath come down unto you, having great wrath or rage, for he knows he has but a short time. He knows his destiny 
Remember when Jesus approached the demoniac of the Gadarenes, who they couldn't hold him even with ropes or chains, and he cut himself on the rocks, and he was supernaturally empowered by demonic forces. But when Jesus came on the scene, there was a recognition immediately. We know who you are, and why comest thou to persecute us before our time? Amen, friend of mine, make no mistake about it. The Bible says, if thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils believe, they know it to be true, and they tremble at the thought and the prospect and the, and the certain reality that God dealt with them in, when they rebelled in heaven, and God is going to deal with them as they influence men and women upon the earth, and God is going to deal with the wicked. But his desire above all things is to save every person on this planet. The scripture is clear. It's not his will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. God is long-suffering, not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance so that we can be saved and ready for the coming of Jesus. In the meantime, let's read Psalm 2 and let's look at what is happening in the world and why the persecution is going to get so intense as time goes on. Listen, Psalm 2, I'm going to read it in sections. First three verses. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. I'm going to read a paraphrase of that, another translation. Why do the nations assemble with commotion, uproar, confusion of voices? And why do the people imagine, meditate, and devise an empty scheme? The kings of the earth shall take their places. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And here's what they say. Let us break their bands of restraint asunder and cast their cords of control from us. We live in a world today that is dead set against God's rule, against Jesus' rule over the earth. And among them, and one of the most famous that expressed this attitude of rebellion is Timothy McVeigh, who blew up that government building and killed scores of men, women, and children. And his last words before he was executed was a quote from British poet William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus. My head is bloodied, but it is not bowed. My head is the going into eternity with that attitude, going into eternity with a rebel heart. Invictus is a revealing look into the darkened heart of a fallen race under the devil's influence. I'm going to read that poem to you. Out of the night that covers me, 
black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate. Do you see the blasphemy here? Do you see the thumb in the nose at the word of God? It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I'm not afraid of God's judgment, he's saying. I'm not afraid of hell. I'm not afraid of what the Bible says. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What a terrible and terrifying way to enter eternity, full of pride, full of blasphemy, and full of rebellion. We live in a world where kingdoms are in direct conflict with one another, and there is no middle ground. The non-Christian worldview stands in sharp contrast to the Christian or biblical worldview. Quoting from what, what is the worldview, listen to what some writer has said. It's the glasses through which a person sees everything. It's the lens, in other words. Some called worldview a grid through which every thought and belief and idea and philosophy in a person's life fits. Someone else says it is a set of fundamental assumptions about the most important issues in life. Quoting another source, What in the world is the worldview? Thinking Christianity and all, Christianly and all about life. Listen, there are increasing number of professing Christians and so-called Christian organizations and denominations who cast off Christ's lordship and blindly follow the world in deception and rebellion. That's why one pastor lamented, according to the pollster George Barna, he says, only about 4% of Americans have what we might call a biblical worldview. That means that even out of the millions that attend a Christian church on Sundays, only a small portion see things through a biblical grid and evaluate the issues of life in light of God's Word. That ought to be astonishing to all of us today. That's why a church group of young ladies in Atlanta gathered for a tea could find nothing wrong with homosexual unions. That's why the Episcopal Church in the Northeast could set apart an openly homosexual priest to be their archbishop and to do so amidst cheers and celebration. That's why a pastor in Dallas could be removed from his pulpit one Sunday due to immorality and then start a new church the next Sunday with a huge crowd of people who glossed over his fall into moral sin. No wonder the glory of man seeks to replace the glory of God in many churches. Peter Jones points out three particular areas in which the world has undermined our own society. 
and where unfortunately churches have been affected and infected. Listen, I, I would give you the percentages. I just don't have the time. So let's let's just go a little bit further. But number one, number one, he points out, first is the destruction of the notion of authority. See, we're coming to Jesus to get a free ticket to heaven. We're believing on Him, but we're not bowing to Him. My head is bloodied, McVeigh said, but it, it is not bowed. I will not bow to this God or to any God. I'm the captain of my fate. There are people that think they can get saved and not bow to the Lordship of Jesus. He's not Savior, and then you bicker about whether or not he, He's going to be your master. Jesus is the one who said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other, hate one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You cannot do that. And yet people are seeking to do that. And where will they end up? This has got to be the Christian community following the rebellious, the rebellious heart of all of the darkness that the devil is using to destroy lives and literally souls today. You, you can't be, you can't eat at the table, the scripture said, of God, of Christ and the table of the devil simultaneously. That's why the great call, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. But it begins with identifying with God's kingdom, and not the kingdoms of this world, or the kingdom of darkness. It goes on to say, For what fellowship hath light with darkness? And Christ with Belial, literally with Satan. <laughs> Friend, I don't know how it could be any more clear than that. But listen, we're not of the darkness. We're not children of the darkness. We are children of the light. And we're to walk in the light. Listen, we're seeing the crime has risen, violent crime from the 60s to now by over 550%. We're seeing, we're, we're just seeing the percentages of murder. We're seeing the percentages of mass murder. We're seeing the percentages of all kinds of rebellion against every form of authority. And that's why even in certain circles of the church world, the Lordship of Jesus is not taught. We're taught we get a free ticket to heaven. We can live the rest of our life in abject rebellion against God. That's a lie of the pit of hell. And where will it lead? It will lead to people standing before Jesus that was part of a church, baptized in water, went to church on Sunday, and they actually will call him Lord and say, Lord, Lord. We've done mighty works in your name, cast out devils in your name, and he will say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. You see, the Bible said in First John, it's a litmus test to see if you're truly saved. And everybody ought to read it, because I want to be sure. 
It said, he that committeth sin. Well, there's no sinlessly perfect people. What's he talking about in 1 John? He that committeth sin is of the devil. That's pretty clear. That word committeth sin means to live habitually in sin. That sin is the driving force. And the reason sin is committed consistently is because of a rebel heart that is never bowed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the great work of God in spiritual regeneration is to take out the heart of stone, stubborn rebellion, and replace it with a heart of flesh, (laughs) a heart that is willing to seek to be obedient in all things. Amen. We deny ourselves to follow Christ. We take up our cross to follow Christ, and we follow Jesus Christ example. We are not perfect in it. There will be times that we falter. There may be times when we fall down, but we get up and go on because his seed remaineth in us that we sin not. It's against the new nature if you've been born again. You can sin, but it won't be fun anymore. Oh, the flesh will will absolutely get something, get something out of it, but you will know in your heart of hearts, I don't belong doing this thing. I don't belong running with these people. I am a child of the King, and I'm out of my element. Praise God. This is dark and I'm light in the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. His seed remaineth in us that we do not continue, keep giving in to sin, but we crucify the flesh with the lust thereof, and we begin to deny ourselves, take up our cross, crucify the flesh, and follow Jesus Christ instead of the course of this world. Listen, the second thing, is the rejection of sexual boundaries. And it's left untold damage that has affected virtually every single family. Even a non-evangelical professor admitted the scale of marital breakdowns in the West since 1960 has no historical precedent that I know of. There has been nothing like it for the last 2,000 years and probably longer. And that was Professor Stone of Princeton University. Infidelity within the church rivals that of the world statistically. We cannot soak up hours of sexual immorality on television and in movies and in the internet and not be affected and literally infected by it. And number three, he says, the third is the destruction of traditional piety. Napoleon III said, and I quote him, Never, one never really destroys a thing until one has replaced it. In other words, the world's agenda has been to replace the piety of a holy people by painting them as bigoted, small-minded, and intolerant. In the early days of our church, we used to have a, he said, we used to have an older retired pastor from California that visited with us occasionally, this pastor said, on Sunday nights. On one occasion, he said, I preached on personal holiness. After the service, he commented, it's a rare thing that I hear anything preached about 
personal holiness and sanctification nowadays. The reason, of course, is that message on holiness makes us uncomfortable because it's one of those things that does not fit into the world's mold. And yet holiness is one of the marks of Christ's disciples. It, it is that message that the world has consistently rejected through the centuries. What did they say in Psalm 2? Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. See, this gospel stuff they say is stifling. Why, why, why can you believe that God would restrain my desires by His law? How dare the Bible claim that there is no way but Christ's way for eternity? You can hear the sneering of Satan at God in our society today. Listen, friend of mine, another concerned pastor laments. Oh, we're going to get to the good stuff. Just hang on. We may go a little over today, but I want you to be emboldened by this message. But I want you to see things and know what's going on and why it's going on. And if you're in a church and you're receiving a message that you can live in a bubble and you can have the same values as the world and your flesh can be indulged with everything that money can buy you, you you're not prepared. You are ill, you're not just ill repaired, prepared. You are not at all prepared for the temptation, the deception, and the persecution that is coming. This pastor laments the problem is when this same sentiment seeps into the church. Many in the churches today are satisfied to have a paper God that suits the human imagination, running with a band-aid when you fall, but otherwise, remaining impotent and obscure. Churches have become entertainment centers instead of the prophetic voice to a putrefying culture. The world devises ways to cast off the demands of the gospel and the holiness that it brings. And churches follow by holding seminars on how to make the world feel comfortable when Christians gather to worship the living God while the world determines to cast away the cords of the gospel. The church seems to accommodate by inviscerating the holiness of God, the majesty of Jesus Christ, and the gospel message from its music and from its preaching. Listen, it is so important today that we get back to the old pathways. I'm not talking about going backward in some kind of regression. I'm talking about going forward in a progression towards sanctification and holiness. And we, but we need to start where we left off, where we lost our way. We need to come back to committing ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to the leadership of the Holy Spirit to the absolute inerrant authority of the Word of God. Listen, today there is a defiant rejection of God's kingdom. Verse 3 of Psalm 2, Let us tear their fetters apart, cast away their cords from us. Humanity in a fallen world, a fallen culture, a fallen society, defiantly 
rejects the thought of God's kingdom and the rule of His Son. The moral teaching found in God's law is constructed and construed as bondage instead of freedom. The gospel message is called to repent of sin and submit to Christ as your only king cramps the desires and passions of men and women who are in rebellion against God. That's what Jesus is talking about when he said, You're of your father the devil, the rebel of the universe, he who rebelled in heaven, who is influencing the culture. You're of your father the devil, and his works you will do. I'm not saying you'll go out and rob a bank or murder somebody and all the other myriad of sins, but you will have a rebel heart against God's rule. Rebellion and disobedience mark the people under the influence of the God of this world. But God has set us free to walk in the newness of life. Praise God. I like Ephesians 2, 2 through 6. It says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, our behavior, the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and mind that were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Take courage, friend. God's rule is over all the universe, and we are in His hand And Jesus is Lord. Praise God. Let's read verse 4 through 9 in closing. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Literally laughter. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. This is Jesus, our our Lord, our Savior. Verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I'll give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. If you think... The Jesus that let them take him to the cross to redeem you and me is the Jesus that is coming again. You have the absolute misunderstanding of the glorified Christ who is the second person of the Godhead who is coming back to in fact execute God's judgment upon the wicked. He's not coming back to save He's coming back to judge the wicked. And the voice that he speaks is not that voice, Father, forgive them. It is a voice that is so powerful. When John heard it, it sounded like the blast of a trumpet, and it sounded like a a waterfall, like Niagara, a roaring voice. And he turned to see, 
who, who was speaking to him. And he said, his hair was as wool. That's the symbol of judging and judgment, judging the earth, the wisdom to judge, the righteousness to cast judgment. He that never sinned can judge sinners. Listen. His hair was as wool. His eyes were as a flame of fire. This is not x-ray vision. He already knows the heart. This is fiery indignation. This is the wrath of God. He's coming to execute the wrath of God. Justifiable anger. He has he has a, a, a garment down to the foot. His feet are as burnished brass. Friend of mine, this Jesus that is coming back. Let me tell you what it says a little further over. He said, I saw the kings of the earth, the mighty men of the earth, the proud, the, the people the small, the great, and all in between during the tribulation period, crying to the rocks and mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? The wrath of the Lamb. Actually, God has committed judgment to his Son, who is now rejected, who He gave to go to the cross so that we could be saved, who gave His life on the cross as He was tortured to death. Oh, friend of mine, today is no day to thumb your nose at a God who has made a way for you to be forgiven, made a way for you to be safe from the wrath to come, sealed by the Holy Spirit, Hallelujah. Amen. Make no mistake about it. We're going to see the rage of the devil through societies, through cultures, through the world today. And Christians are going to be persecuted. But we're supposed to rejoice that we're on the Lord's side. We're supposed to rejoice that God is on our side. And we're supposed to know that He is not moved by all of this blithering and all of this blasphemy. He will have them in derision. There's a scripture in Proverbs. It's a sad, sad part of Proverbs. And it says, Wisdom crieth in the streets, in the marketplace, crying out loud. You know, God's wisdom, God's wisdom is being brought by the gospel Come and be saved. Come and be saved. And said, but people turned away. They closed their ears. But he said, the time will come. I cried unto you. I beckoned unto you. You wouldn't listen. And the time will come when you will cry unto me. And I will not hear your cry. You don't want to be left here. God don't want you left here. He wants you saved. He wants you sealed with the Holy Spirit. And He wants you to be safe from the wrath to come. To Christians today, this is no time to go with the flow of the world. This is no time to go with compromised pastors, compromised churches. If it's not following the Bible today, you, you need to make a decision. Because it's your soul. It's your life. It's where you are going to end up for eternity. 
I'm, I don't know about you. I can't make a decision for you. But I can pray that you choose the right road. And not that road that leads to destruction, eternal damnation and punishment. But the road that leads to life eternal. And the bliss and joy of what God has prepared for those that will simply turn from the darkness and run to the light and see through the gospel the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Bow to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And when you say Lord, when you stand before Him, He'll say, you belong to me. You're one of mine. I see my mark upon you. (laughs) I've sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And you belong to me. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Today, if you don't know Jesus once again, I know this is a hard message to hear. But it's God's desire to save you. And if He doesn't shock you at some point on this journey toward Eternity without Him. He has no choice but to judge you on that day. Now, He has chosen to save you. Will you choose to be saved? Will you come to Jesus today? Will you accept Him as your Lord and Savior? Will you decide right now, I'm not going to follow the devil any further. And I'm not going to follow the devil's crowd any further. I'm not going to run with those who are running away from God. I'm going to walk with those, run the race with those that are running toward Him, anxious for the coming of Jesus, contemplating eternity with God in a place where there's no death, no dying, no hate, Nothing but bliss and joy throughout all eternity. Friend of mine, come to Jesus. Come with a heart that is turning from darkness. Bow before Him. At the foot of the cross, bow before Him. And say, Lord, I want You to be my Savior. I don't want You to have to judge me. You paid the price on the cross for me. You shed your blood for me. Just like the song says, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, in Jesus' name.